Hello, and welcome to the Psalmcast. This is Michael Bautursa, and you've tuned in to a special series of podcast episodes that features short reflections on the Psalms as part of Thrive Harbor's sermon series on praying the Psalms. And I have to admit, actually, that's that's not all that this podcast is. One of the reasons I was really excited to do this is just that I just love the Psalms. And I've had this goofy dream of one day getting to somehow speak on all 150 Psalms. And so you're kind of joining me for a little bit of a personal project that I'm doing just for my own enjoyment. But man, if anything, I hope that I can spread a little bit of my love for the Psalms to to other people as well, because it's just, it's a marvelous book of scripture. And today we're in Psalm 2. So one, one of the comments that made was made yesterday while looking at Psalm 1 is that many of the Psalms are arranged deliberately. And so it's no accident that Psalm 1 is at the very beginning of the Psalm book. Another example of, of the deliberate way that you can see the Psalms having been arranged is how Psalms 1 and 2 go together. So, a couple examples. You might notice in Psalm 1 that at the very end it tells you that the way of the wicked perishes. But now if you look at Psalm 2 at the very end, it tells you that the wicked kings perish in their way. The Hebrew words there are the same. Another connection is through the word meditate. So in Psalm 1, the righteous person meditates on God's law. And in Psalm 2, verse 1, the wicked nations plot in vain against God. Now in our English translations, the words are different, but in Hebrew, they're the same. And then there's the most obvious connection of all. So you might be familiar with the Beatitudes in the New Testament. So things that Jesus says, like, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. But did you realize that actually in the Old Testament, there are a couple of what you might call Beatitudes as well. So in Psalm 1, it opens with the words, blessed is the man who does all these things. And then Psalm 2 closes with, blessed are all who take refuge in him. That word blessed would seem to tell us that these two psalms are companion psalms. They're meant to go together, and together they form the entrance to the Psalter by telling you the kind of person you have to be to read the rest of God's, of God's word of the psalms properly. The message of Psalm 1 was to abide in God's word But the message of Psalm 2 is that in addition to abiding in God's word, we're also called to take refuge in God's king, the Messiah. That those are the two key ingredients to approach the rest of the Psalms properly. So let me read Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Okay, so... Look at this psalm here with me and notice that there's a cast of characters. So in verse 2, there's the Lord and then there's his anointed one. Now this has got to be the Messiah, who in verse 7 is also said to be God's son. So you put the pieces together. It's obvious here that we're talking about Jesus. 
And then if you look at verses 6 through 9, it would seem like what the Lord is saying here is that King Jesus has set up shop in Zion and the Lord has crowned him king of the whole earth. So those are the good guys in this psalm. And then you've got the bad guys. So in verses 1 through 3, the nations and their rulers have come together and they're trying to attempt this this coup d'etat against King Jesus. Now, obviously, it doesn't work. If you look at the next couple of verses, God takes one look at them and he just bursts out laughing. It's one of the, the, the kind of rare examples of God's laughter in scripture. And of course, the reason he's laughing is because, you know, as if anyone would think that a fickle horde of humans could ever possibly overthrow King Jesus. So there's your scenario. Now, what's crazy about this is that it would seem as though that this psalm is actually talking about something that one day is going to happen. So what I'm going to do is flip over to the very last book of the Bible, and I'm going to read a couple of verses out of Revelation 20. Now, Revelation 20 says that when Jesus comes back, he'll set up a kingdom on earth where he'll reign from Jerusalem. It'll last for a thousand years before it gives way to the new heavens and the new earth. But Revelation 20 also tells you that as the thousand years are drawing to a close, there's going to be one final failed attempt to defy God. So listen to these verses and just see if you hear any similarities between this and Psalm 2. So this is uh, Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. You know, sidebar, almost certainly that would be talking about Jerusalem, where Jesus is said to be reigning from. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So you've got a bunch of obvious similarities there. You've got a bunch of nations coming together. They're trying to rally against Jesus, and it fails, just like in Psalm 2. So it seems like Psalm 2 is actually a prophecy. So there's some of your context. Now, this, of course, is a podcast about praying the psalm. So let me just wrap this up by bringing out one point of application for how you might turn the psalm into a prayer. It is so cool to me that the book of Psalms opens with a promise that when all the dust settles, Jesus is still going to be king. One fun way that you can break down the Old Testament comes from a Bible teacher named Warren Wearsby. He says the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, are the Old Testament's foundation. They're the seed plot from which the rest of the story grows. And then there's the historical books, which are demonstration. They show how God's at work developing the plot lines of the story. Then there are the prophetic books, which are about expectation. They're filled with hope about the coming of the Messiah. But the theme of the poetic books, including the Psalms, is aspiration. They're filled with these beautiful expressions of the longings of God's people for the Messiah to come. And you see this all over the Psalms. I mean, tons of the Psalms include messianic prophecies that look ahead to the coming of Jesus. And I just love that in a book that is just one huge crazy journey through all kinds of longings, all kinds of human emotions, it opens with an assurance that Jesus is king, that Jesus is on the throne. And that's why this psalm, along with Psalm 1, is the entrance to the Psalter. Its message is that if you want to be blessed, abide in God's word and take refuge in God's king. What we're going to see as we venture through the psalms is that they're incredibly honest. They, they show that it's okay if you're angry or sad or depressed or afraid. 
But the Psalms also tell you what to do with those feelings. You know, to borrow a phrase from Tim Keller, religion would tell you to stuff your feelings because they might be sinful. Our culture, on the other hand, would tell you to worship your feelings because it believes that you are what you feel. But the Psalms tell you to pray your feelings, to take your emotions and to bring them to God and into the light of his truth. So David Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous Welsh preacher, said once that all of our, our problems, all of our unhappiness ultimately comes from the fact that we're listening to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves. The Psalms help you talk back to your emotions by telling them what's really true. And according to Psalm 2, what's really true is that Jesus is king. When all the dust settles, he'll still be king. And this morning, I was using this psalm um, in my own prayers and just found myself so flooded with a sense of peace and joy that even right now, as the nations are in turmoil over the coronavirus, even right now, as it seems like there's so much darkness and uncertainty in our world, this psalm says that Jesus is king and he will still be king when all is said and done. Which is why it concludes with the lines, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Because there's no sweeter balm to the soul than to know that you know that you know that Jesus is your king. So there are some thoughts on Psalm 2 that hopefully can be an aid as you might take the psalm and pray it yourself. So continue to join us over the next couple of days as we look at more psalms. And thanks so much for joining us today.